Today on the Matt Wall Show, the left screeches in horror as Elon Musk launches his hostile takeover of Twitter, threatening to allow the open exchange of ideas, the horror. Also, the suspect in the New York City uh, subway mass shooting has an extensive criminal history and yet was allowed to remain on the street until now. That's what criminal justice reform gets you. Plus, Kentucky effectively outlaws abortion. NFTs are once again revealed to be a ridiculous scam, and the ladies of The View descend into hilarious incoherence while attempting to discuss gay marriage. Talk about all that and much more today on The Matt Wall Show. Have you thought about buying a new home, maybe a second home or an investment property? It really is the perfect time to do so. Home values are up over 20% last year. That's quite the return if you ask me. That's why I recommend calling American Financing, America's home for home loans. They're a family-owned company and a proud partner of The Matt Walsh Show. They'll work with you, guide you through custom loan options, and walk you through every step of the process. It really is a no-pressure experience with them. And they never charge upfront or hidden fees, which is quite refreshing since many lenders charge $500 or so just to get you qualified. Don't do that. Instead, give American Financing a call. You get a free loan review and even be connected to a realtor if you need one. It takes as little as 10 minutes. It's very easy to do. Very simple. All you have to do is, is start by calling 866-569-4711. Again, that's 866-569-4711. One more time, that's 866-569-4711. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net, NMLS 182334, NMLS Well, I may not seem to be the biggest champion of diversity, but I, I could still appreciate watching a glass ceiling get shattered as much as any progressive. The truth is that despite appearances, you know, I do deeply value diversity, equity, inclusion, tolerance, Uh, I know that this country has come so far in atoning for the sins of its past, and yet it still has so much farther to go. And that's why I nearly wept with tears of joy this morning as I heard the news that an African-American man may soon take ownership of Twitter. We, We inched ever closer to true and complete racial equity in this country when Elon Musk positioned himself to potentially become the first African American immigrant to own a major social media platform. This is this is big news, big progress. Kentaji Brown-Jackson's confirmation may have been an historic achievement, but it pales in comparison to this. As the Daily Wire reports, Elon Musk, the tech billionaire who made waves across the world after recently becoming the largest Twitter shareholder, is offering to buy 100% of Twitter at $54.20 per share in a cash deal that could exceed $40 billion. According to an SEC filing submitted Wednesday evening, Musk told Twitter chairman Brett Taylor that this was his best and final offer. The offer comes just days after Musk declined to take a position on Twitter's board of directors. And now we know why he declined to take that position. Um, You can read in the SEC filing the voice and text message from Musk to Twitter where he explains his offer. He uh, emphasizes again that he's he's not going to negotiate. It's his best and final. But if the board doesn't accept the offer, which I don't know how they could choose not to accept as declining the offer would be them acting against the financial interests of their shareholders, But if they don't accept, Musk indicated that he would reconsider, quote-unquote, his position as a shareholder. Uh, So this is, in other words, a hostile takeover. And certainly, if they refuse the offer and Musk pulls out completely, Twitter's stock price is going to plummet through the floor. So they're backed into a corner, it would seem, and it is a glorious sight to behold. Now, as for the reaction to this news, it has been, as you might expect, quite dramatic. Some of us, though, see this as, you know, not only a major win for racial equity, but also an opportunity. For example, I've already reached out to, to Elon on Twitter and offered my services 
as the company's new chief diversity and inclusion officer. I assume there's going to be a lot of vacancies coming up, especially in those kinds of departments. And I am willing to do that. I don't even need a seven-figure income to do the job. I'd settle for something even in just like the high six-figure range. But the left has not been quite so hopeful or optimistic. They are treating this like the end of the world, literally. I mean, somebody tweeted this morning, quote, Elon Musk buying Twitter is the end of the world, basically. He'll amplify every extremist right-wing Nazi he can find. The verified left-wing blue checks on the platform especially are having a, a difficult time. We're going to read some of these, and I think we might need some sad piano music again for this. Lance Richardson says, Elon Musk buying Twitter, if he's indeed successful, might be the impetus I've been looking for to delete this thing permanently. There's a lot of that, by the way. People threatening to leave. Leftists threatening to leave. It's like one of those, uh, is that a, a, a threat or a promise kind of thing? Um, Max Boot says, I'm frightened by the impact on society and politics if Elon Musk acquires Twitter. He seems to believe that on social media, anything goes. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less. Just stop and think about that for a second. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation. For democracy to survive, there needs to be less ability to express your point of view. Makes sense. Whitney Don Carlson says more simply, F you, Elon Musk. And then Miguel, an employee of Twitter, says, I can't even with Elon buying Twitter. I may have to rethink my employment if that actually happens. And Pam Keith says, I love you all, but I am 100% out if Musk takes over Twitter. No, Pam Keith, Keith, don't leave, please. We beg you to stay. Well, you know what? Actually, call this whole thing off. I just decided. I thought it was good, but if Pam Keith is not going to be on Twitter with Elon Musk in control, then forget the whole thing. It's not worth it. Um, Matthew Rosa desperately beseeched the current CEO of Twitter to resist the takeover attempt. He tweeted, Dear Parag Agrawal, if you're reading this, right now the world needs to know that you're stronger, smarter, and more tenacious than Elon Musk. He thinks he can beat you. The free world needs to know that he's wrong. Yours truly, a lifelong and long-verified Twitter user. That's also how I, that's how I sign all of my letters as well, actually, as it happens. Um, don't ask either of us how we could possibly be lifelong Twitter users. That's, that's irrelevant. And then finally, of course, Jeff Jarvis pushes the Nazi button. In case of emergency, push the Nazi button, which it's like it's always an emergency for the left. So he says, today on Twitter feels like the last evening in a Berlin nightclub at the twilight of Weimar, Germany. Yes, the prospect that people expressing their, of, of people expressing their opinions honestly on Twitter is exactly like Nazi Germany. People being able to tweet memes with abandon. It's just like Nazism. There's no difference, really. Now, jokes somewhat aside, I, think there, I do think there are two important points to be made about this. Um, aside from the fact that uh, Elon Musk is an African-American man, which, by the way, like that will never not be hilarious to say. I don't care how many times the joke is used. It's not even really a joke because it's technically true. It, that's just the, I, that's one of my favorite, honestly, one of my favorite facts in the universe, actually, is that Elon Musk is an African-American because they hate him so much. And he's like the richest guy in the world. And, he's, and, he's, and it makes them so mad when you call him an African-American, but they can't, it's true. So they can't do anything about it. I just, I love it. Anyway, 
Um, so the first thing to keep in mind here is that as happy as I am about Elon Musk potentially seizing the reins of Twitter, and as delighted as I am to drink from such an abundance of leftist tears, so many tears that my, my tumbler can, can't possibly hold them all, I do, however, think that we should acknowledge that it's not a good sign that we're relying on the benevolence of an eccentric billionaire to protect the free exchange of ideas. You know, if you had any doubt before, this is now all the confirmation you should need that we, we do live in an oligarchy. Ours is a country fully in the hands of a group of elites in government media and the corporate world, pushing and pulling and conspiring with each other and sometimes fighting with each other to control our lives. That's, that's the world we live in. It's, it's not a good system. But since we're stuck in it for now, the best thing that can happen within the system is that at least one of these powerful people decides that free speech is actually important and seizes control of a platform like Twitter to provide a forum for it. Second, we have to ask, why exactly is the left panicking so much at the thought of Elon Musk taking control of Twitter? Um, the answer is obvious, but worth articulating in any case. Musk is not, despite how he's portrayed, some sort of right-wing ideologue. He's not going to go in and start banishing all of the leftist accounts out into the hinterlands, as satisfying as that might be to see from a retribution kind of perspective. But he's not going to do that. And everyone knows he's not going to do that. The fear on the left is not that they'll be banished, but that Musk will make good on his promise to allow the free and open expression of opinions and ideas. Leftism's cultural dominance relies heavily, almost entirely, on the control of expression. It hasn't taken this position of dominance by defeating the other side in the ideological arena. It hasn't convinced people to come over to its camp. It hasn't made like convincing arguments and people say, oh, well, you know, I've considered both points of view and uh, sure. Its ideas cannot prevail in that kind of contest. They, they don't stand up against even the slightest scrutiny. So for leftism, the game is won by making sure that it is the only team allowed on the field. This kind of suppression accomplishes, I think, two things for them. One, it, of course, ensures that people don't encounter the opposing views or hear the arguments. And because you don't need to bother debunking or defeating arguments that nobody hears anyway. Very often, people come up to me and uh, they'll like thank me for making some point or another. And, and, and then they'll tell me that, oh, you know, I, I'd never heard that before. I never heard anyone put it like that before. And that's always shocking to me because all I ever do is state the obvious. I, I have no deeper insights to offer, really. And yet, um, and don't quote me on that, you know, because you're still watching the show. But really what I'm doing is just stating the obvious. And yet even obvious truths are kept out of view from so many people. The other thing that suppression accomplishes, I think uh, even more so, is isolation. Um, this is another thing that I hear all the time from people. Because if it's common sense, it means that it's a, a lot of these things are the kinds of things people know. You don't need to tell them, they just know it. Like, the, you know, men and women are different, for example. It's a common sense thing. It's self-evident. Maybe one of the most self-evident facts in the world. And so everyone kind of knows. You don't need to tell them that. And yet, the other thing that I get from people is they'll come in and they'll thank me for expressing some opinion uh, or another because prior to hearing me say it, they thought that they were alone in thinking that way. Or nearly alone. And this is always surprising, too, because, again, you know, it's, it's common sense. But leftist speech suppression has made it so that people with normal common sense ideas about the world feel like they are alone. And after a while, if you think you're alone, 
in feeling a certain way or thinking a certain way or having a certain opinion. You might surrender to the mainstream view just for the sake of self-preservation, or you might convince yourself that you must be wrong, given that you're so outnumbered. This is the process that's actually happened with some people on the gender issue. And a lot, some, some guys, it also is dependent some, in, in some ways on, on where you live. Um, but people are so surrounded by this insanity that after a while they start to think, well, am I, am I wrong about this? I thought men and women are different, but everywhere I go and everyone seems to be affirming the opposite. So this is a very valuable tool to the left. And it's what they stand to lose, at least partially if Twitter slips out of their hands. And it's why they're panicking. And it's why it's so enjoyable to behold. And besides, if you're on the left and you're worried about this, what's the big deal? Remember what you always told us? Just go build your own Twitter. It's not hard to do. So good luck. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, if your retirement account has been heavy on stocks for a while, um, I have some great news for you. You've won. The value of your IRA or 401k has likely ballooned thanks to the longest bull market run in U.S. history. But after every bull run comes a recession. Right now, stock valuations are at historic highs only seen before the Great Depression and the dot-com crash. In the face of teetering global stability, stock volatility is way up. So maybe it's time to take some of your chips off the table. Secure your winnings and your future with gold from Birch Gold. That's right. Birch Gold will help you convert those gains that you have on paper into a real physical asset. Oh, yeah. And it will still be a tax-sheltered account. One of the best parts. Nice try, Uncle Sam, especially as we get to tax season now. Get started now. Text Walsh to 989898 with thousands of satisfied customers and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Birch Gold can help you protect your savings. All you got to do is text Walsh to 989898 to get a free info kit on gold. There is no obligation to get this info. Text Walsh to 989898 to protect at least some of your winnings with gold. All right. Um, you know, if you're, if a lot of people, there's, there's many different ways to access this podcast because, you know, you have to be, it's the modern world. You have to be available through every platform, including like Messenger Pigeon and everything else. Um, a lot of people watch on YouTube, but uh, probably the main way people engage with it is the audio podcast. And if you're not subscribed to the audio podcast, then you should definitely do that. You can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your audio podcasts. Make sure that you not only are listening there, but you also hit that subscribe button. Just a reminder for you. All right. Um, I, I wanted to mention this, too, because it, it kind of relates to what we were just talking about, or very much relates to it. So right before this announcement from Elon Musk coming in potentially as the liberator here, um, Libs of TikTok was suspended yesterday on Twitter. And this is a, a personal tragedy for me because that's my whole show. Like the Libs of TikTok account does my entire show. That's all my show prep is out the window if I don't have Libs of TikTok and um, But the account was suspended. Daily Wire reports, popular Twitter account Libs of TikTok, known for exposing radical gender theories promoted by school and teachers, has been suspended for Twitter by Twitter for 12 hours for violating its rules against hateful conduct. Babylon B CEO Seth Dillon was the first to report the suspension with a tweet. Uh, the vague notice from Twitter shared by Dillon's tweet simply states, we have determined that this account violated the Twitter rules specifically for violating our rules against hateful conduct. You may not promote violence against, threaten, or harass other people on the basis of race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability, or serious disease. 
But I guess you can discriminate for non-serious diseases. Um, where does where does alopecia fall into that? Is that in the serious thing? I think we discovered last week it's in the serious in the serious category. Now, of course, this doesn't make any sense, and this is exactly the kind of thing. This is they they give themselves these broad kind of meaningless categories of speech that they can police hateful conduct. Well, who decides what's hateful exactly? Yeah, they they pretend to define it more. They say, well, promote violence, threaten, harass. What, what, what do you mean by harass? How do you define that exactly? And promote violence, you might think you know what a term like promote violence means. You might think that, well, promoting violence means that you're uh, telling people to go and commit a violent act against somebody. That's what promoting violence is in, 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 in the brain of a normal person. But then you remember that the, on the left, they have a very expansive idea of what violence is. And a word can be violent. An opinion can be violent. Um, you know, an expression on your face can be violent. An exp- moving your fingers a certain way could be, could be, you know, doing this. You're not supposed to do this. The okay sign, that's violence. That, that's white supremacist, supremacist violence. So they give themselves these um, broad categories so that it's just up to them who they're going to kick out and, and, and or suspend. And 90% of the time, what do you know? It's a conservative account. But the libs of TikTok thing is especially interesting because all this account does, I mean, really, all it does is just repost. Um, that's why it's libs of TikTok, content from a lot of times other platforms, and say, look at, look at what this person said on TikTok. That's all the account does. So why was it really kicked off? Because it was effective. And it was effective just in alerting people to the full insanity of leftism. Maybe that's another thing that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Elon Musk will liberate libs of TikTok. Donald Trump, we'll see. I can tell you one thing. If Musk takes control of Twitter, I am going to go on a misgendering spree. I'm going to be misgendering so hard on that platform. And of course, when I say misgender, I mean... A, properly and appropriately gender people according to their biological sex. Um, let's see. Let's uh, let's go here from NBC New York. It says, the man sought as a person of interest in the mass shooting on a Brooklyn train during rush hour a day ago, Frank James, has now been labeled a suspect in the case. Um, yeah, James was believed to have been taken into custody on Wednesday, according to four police sources. So he, he graduated from person of interest to he is the actual suspect, which I think we all knew was going to happen. And now apparently he's been apprehended. Not apparently, there's video footage of him being apprehended. Um, Three senior law enforcement officials said ATF agents were able to trace the gun recovered at the shooting scene to a purchase that James made years ago. Um, And there was video also. Video started coming out of um, James entering the subway. Now, it's kind of an interesting thing because... There, it's the subway in New York, and so you'd think, well, there's security camera footage, security cameras everywhere, and there is, and there we saw we saw some footage of him of him coming in, but apparently right now there is no footage available to anyone of the attack itself, despite the fact that there's uh, cameras everywhere. Um, now listen to this part though about James. It says, James has ties to Philadelphia and Wisconsin, as well as New York, according to police. He was said to have a past criminal record in New Jersey that includes three arrests on charges related to larceny and disorderly conduct in 2007 and trespassing in 1992. James, that's in New Jersey. Um, James also has nine prior arrests in New York from 1992 to 1998. 
including possession of burglary tools, criminal sex acts, and theft of service. However, he has no history on par with the violence he's suspected of in Tuesday's attack, of which officials are aware at this time. Um, part of James's criminal history includes making terroristic threats, according to sources. But investigators said the threats were similar to ones commonly made by those who are emotionally disturbed. Okay. So this is someone with an extensive criminal record who's, who made terroristic threats that he eventually carried out. He was known to the FBI. We know that he was known to local law enforcement because he's getting arrested all the time. Known to the FBI. And yet they just let, let him let him go, let him walk around a free man until he did something where they have no choice but to take him into custody. And man, how, how many how many years is he even going to get in New York now? Will they put him away for at least a decade? Can we can we hope for that much? You know, we hear about criminal justice reform, and even a lot of Republicans are very excited about criminal justice reform. Well, this is what criminal justice reform gets you. This is what it looks like. It looks like a career criminal committing crime after crime after crime. And the uh, law enforcement, everybody knows that he's a criminal, a potentially dangerous person. And yet he is simply allowed to continue. Escalating in his crimes until he does something so heinous that there is no choice but to put him away. That, that's what criminal justice reform is. That's what it is now. Now, what could it be? Well, my idea for criminal justice reform, here, here's, here's, here's how we should be reforming the criminal justice system. Here's my idea. Uh, what you do is you find the dangerous people and you put them in a cage and you keep them there for a long time. So the kind of criminal justice reform we need is the opposite of what we're getting. The kind we need is arrest more people and keep them in jail longer. I mean, this, this whole idea that, um, you know, over-incarceration, too many people are going to jail or arresting too many people. Where's the evidence of that exactly? You can look at the crime wave plaguing cities all across the country. I mean, we can all see that. How, how can you look at that and see these violent criminals running amok and then come to the conclusion that the problem is that we're still arresting too many people. Yeah, all of these violent people are on the streets. Actually, we need more of them, is what we're told by the criminal justice reform advocates. No, arrest more people and put them in jail for longer. If you got to build more jails to, to, to house all the scumbags, then build more of them. I'm willing to pay for that as a taxpayer. I pay for a lot of stuff that doesn't benefit me. I don't need. Well, taking the violent people and, and putting them in cages where they belong and keeping them there, that, that's something that will benefit me as, as a member of the community and especially as a father of young children. All right, a similar vein here. This is from WZZM in uh, Michigan. The Grand Rapids Police Department released video footage of an officer who shot and killed 26-year-old Patrick Loyola, Loyola, I believe it is, um, during a traffic stop that turned deadly last week. And this was trending yeah, last night on, on Twitter, the, the video itself. Um, the incident happened Monday, April 4th, just after 8 a.m. during the intersection of Griggs Street and Nelson Avenue. Authorities said a, a GRPD officer initiated a traffic stop on a vehicle with a faulty license plate. Uh, the suspect who was driving the vehicle 
fled from police on foot. After a physical stru- struggle with the officer, he was shot and killed. GRPD Chief Eric Winstrom confirmed the officer's body camera was found at the scene, said it wasn't clear how it came off. Um, Lai Oya's uh, family disputes these claims, saying that his car had broken down in the street and that he had stepped out of the car to see what the problem was when a GRPD officer arrived. His family says he and the officer argued, then the officer got a hold of him and put him on the ground. The officer then shot him in the back of the head. The family says the officer at the center of the investigation has not been publicly identified. Um, the officer has been placed on administrative leave pending the investigation. Now, the video is out. They're not going to play it for you here. You can go and it's, you know, it's a video of someone being shot and killed. And we, we, we've all gotten so used to watching. We talked about this last week. I mean, we've gotten so used to watching videos of people dying. And I, I, I don't think that that's something we should really be used to, actually. Um, but if you want to see the video, you can. It's out there on Twitter um, and on social media. Now, this, there's still, as is always the case with these things, a lot of facts that we don't have yet. And But that doesn't trouble most people, um, especially the race hustlers who they've seen all they need to see. This is a white officer and a black suspect who ends up dead. And for them, that's, that's it. That's all that matters. And they've already jumped. They've They've come to a conclusion that they will stick with no matter what else we find out. So we know that's how it works there. But if you actually care about the truth, then you need more information, and that's what we should. That's what we need here. Um, I will say, I, I'm extremely skeptical of the claim from the family that his car just broke down, and for some reason the cop came and tackled him, like just for for you know for no reason, um, because that's always the kind of narrative we get in the beginning with these kinds of incidents, and it almost never. In fact, I, would, I think I would say never stands up against scrutiny. Like we're always told in the beginning that the suspect was doing something totally, you know, it was just t- totally innocent. There was nothing at all, just walking down the street and the cop came up randomly and that's how the altercation began. That's always what we're told in the beginning and then it turns out that no, that's not the case. Um, what we hear from the police is that this was a traffic stop and um, then he took off running and the cop tried to uh, tried to apprehend him. And then that's the part where the video picks up and you can see Lyoya is uh, fighting the officer. Something happened over the course of several minutes, trying to bring him down. At some point, the suspect gains control. You can see in the video, he, gain, he, he takes the taser away from the officer. And so now he's armed himself with the officer's taser. And while he's struggling for the taser, and they're still struggling, the struggling, again, goes on for, for, for uh, you know, several minutes. Um, that's when he gets shot. Now, here's my thing. And again, we're going to find out more information about the shooting, what led to it, what precipitated it. Uh, all that information will come out. But here's, here's a thought. Black lives matter, right? Of course. We all, no one disagrees with that. So value your own life. Now, the, 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 the Patrick Lyoya, the cops are trying to detain him. He's fighting back. He grabs the taser. Nothing good can come of that. There is, there is no good path that you go. There's, there's, there is no positive result from that decision. Once the cops are trying to arrest you, you start fighting back. Nothing good can possibly come of it. You are now putting yourself 
in a lethal situation potentially. And especially if you if you believe that cops are all a bunch of racist, psychopathic murderers, then even more so, right? You're putting yourself in a lethal position if you actually believe that. That's the other thing that doesn't make any sense to me is because we hear um, about all the alleged fear of police because they're all a bunch of, of killers. And yet you see in these videos people that appear, that appear to have no fear of the police whatsoever. Like it would, it would, I would, it would never occur to me to, to fight a police officer and try to take his taser from him. Um, I would fear the police too much to do something like that. And also, more importantly, value my own life. I want to, I, I love living my life. I want to get home to my kids. I'm not going to do something that could quite, with, there's no positive result that's possible here. And the potential negative result is that I die. And if I don't die, now I'm just going to go to prison for longer than I would have otherwise. Especially if you were really doing nothing wrong whatsoever. And now you're fighting the cops. Well, now you're going to go to jail. If you weren't doing anything wrong, then you fight it in court and there's no reason why you should go to jail. But now you're going to go to jail. So why not place some value on your own life? That's the first thing that jumps out at me when I see pretty much all of these videos, the ones that BLM, you know, cherry picks. And I watch a suspect fighting the cops, going for the weapon, doing all this. And I think, what, why don't you value your own life? Why are you willing to throw your life away for nothing? What's the plan here? Okay, you fight the cops. That's first step. What's steps two and three? Explain it to me. I don't, I don't get it. And then what's the other thing you see? Um, there's always, the, the, there are the people standing off filming it. And I don't know, in this case, the person who's filming, I don't know who they are. I don't know if they're related to, the, to, to, the, uh, to anybody involved or whatever. It's a friend. But you see people standing off filming it. And it's, it's, it's not very often that they're encouraging the person, hey, man, just, just, just give up. Fight this in court. It's not worth your life. Said they're just standing off watching, waiting for him to get shot. What so, I, what, so they have the viral video that they can put on social media. All right, uh, this is from Breitbart. President Joe Biden's administration is extending the federal mask mandate for Americans traveling on commercial buses and flights while carrying out plans to end Chinese coronavirus restrictions for border crossers and illegal aliens. So if you're crossing the border illegally, then uh, you don't have the restrictions. But if you want to fly in a plane, then we're still going to have the restrictions in place. On Wednesday, Biden's Center for Disease Control and Prevention announced that the federal transportation mask mandate which has been in place since 2020, will remain in effect for at least two more weeks. Um, CDC continues to monitor the spread of the Omicron variant, uh, blah, blah, blah. TSA will extend the security directive and emergency amendment for 15 days through May 3rd. They're still doing. I mean, all you can do is laugh at this point. They're still doing the 15 days thing. It's just, hey guys, it's just fit, really this time, it's just 15 more days to slow the spread. And then you can, and then after two years and 15 more days, then you can finally take your mask off on the plane. Even though there was no reason to ever be wearing one on a plane in the first place. It's the one place where the mask mandates remain in effect for everybody. And yet it's the one place where they are the least needed. 
despite how it may feel, despite what you, what you might think when you're, because you're on a plane, you're 35,000 feet in the air, you're in this tin bucket shooting through the sky, and uh, it, you, know, you might think it's a lot of like just recycled air, and it might feel very dirty. It's, no, but it's, it's actually the, the cleanest air you're likely to breathe is in a plane 35,000 feet in the air. The safest place to be in pretty much every sense of the word. No reason to have masks at all. But just 15 more days. They, guys, they mean it this time. 15 more, and then we're done. Maybe another 15 after that, but seriously, after that, we'll be good. I want to play this clip for you um, because I'm not, I'm not done harping on this. Dr. Oz running for Senate in, uh, in Pennsylvania as a Republican. I'm not going to be done harping on him before, until, until, the, you know, until the race is over. So he's running for Senate as a Republican in uh, Pennsylvania. He just got the big endorsement from Donald Trump. Trump, who said not just, hey, you should vote for this guy. He's the lesser of two evils, but actually that he's a great guy. He's a great leader. He's pro-life. He's super conservative. That's what, that's what Donald Trump claimed. Um, now, we know that, that Oz historically has been pro-abortion, anti-gun. He's been leftist on pretty much everything. He, was, he not only endorsed the trans kids phenomenon, but he was one of the early adopters of it. He was cutting edge right out of the gate. Or before even everyone else had come out of the gate. He was, he was out there promoting trans kids. And uh, here's another clip that resurfaced, as they say. Here's uh, Dr. Oz, a little while after the Jesse Smollett hoax, talking about his good, dear friend, Jesse Smollett. What Men Want is a new movie, which everyone is going to love, and we're going to talk about it in a second. Um, but before I get to that, uh, Jesse Smollett, who has been on the show, who we all adore, uh, was re- recently injured. It's mm-hmm. being called a hate crime. Yeah. I don't know if you've been able to speak to him at all. I had, well, you know I had to check on my baby. Exactly right. <laughs> Castmate yeah. from Empire, good friend. He is resilient, and um, his mother raised him right. He is just, at his very core, he is love. That's just who he is. And love is always going to win. Hankin tried, the devil tried it, but no, not this time. <laughs> but Jersey, if you're watching this, the entire audience, all of us are saying we love you very much. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we love you, Jesse. Just an admirable man, great man. We all love Jesse Smollett. That right there is uh, the Republican in Pennsylvania who got the Donald Trump endorsement. Great stuff, as always, from Dr. Oz. All right, this is from 19th News. It says, Kentucky is the first state where clinics, abortion clinics, will be completely stopped from providing abortions. The state legislator enacted a far-reaching abortion law on Wednesday with uh, so many restrictions, including a 15-week ban, that clinics said they've been forced to stop performing the procedure. The law known as House Bill 3 takes effect immediately. And uh, the abortion industry in Kentucky, they're, you know, they're distraught over this, and they're saying that they're going to, I mean, there's staff cuts, so many people are going to lose their jobs and their livelihoods. And of course, uh, what I say to that is, thank God. I, there's, there's, there's nothing that makes me happier than the thought of people at abortion clinics, workers in the abortion industry losing their jobs and their livelihoods. You absolutely deserve that. I hope you lose your job and your livelihood. And, um, and what's more is I, I hope you suffer also from losing it for your own sake. Because first of all, because it's justice, you deserve to suffer, but also um, because maybe then there'll be some real atonement on your part. Um, that's, that's something that can come from suffering. Maybe in your suffering, you'll be able to reflect on the hideous evil you've been a part of 
you'll be able to reflect on that and have a moment of awakening and some real redemption. That's, that's my hope for you in your suffering, which again, you, you so deeply deserve. Um, speaking of which, Charles Booker is a Democrat running for Senate in the state. And um, he yesterday posted this video of him talking to women who were just distraught over all this. And he's giving them words of encouragement. Let's listen to that. Kentucky will be essentially the first state when they override this veto to effectively ban all abortion. They are making a decision. Do they actually want to reduce abortion, help families, or do they just want to punish women? Do they actually want Kentuckians to be safer, or do they want to just take advantage of wedge issues at your expense? Do they really care about the Commonwealth of Kentucky, or do they just care about power? That's what they will be telling you today. So remember this day, and know that I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Every step of the way. Thank y'all. Bands off our bodies. Bands off our bodies. Bands off our bodies. You see the woman at the end there is pretty distraught. She's comforting. He's comforting the woman who's uh, who's very upset that she wouldn't have the opportunity maybe in Kentucky to murder her child anymore. Um, You know, what you have to understand about men, especially, there, there is no creature in the known universe, more pathetic and gross and disgusting than, uh, than the creature known as the pro-abortion man. Which I, which I would put as, even, as an, even, an, an even more despicable character than the pro-abortion woman, even. And I say that because I actually believe that, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know me, I'm archaic and old-fashioned. I believe that men should take uh, leadership roles. You know, they, men should be leaders. And when it comes to protecting children, protecting the most vulnerable, and protecting women, especially young women who are taken advantage of and lied to by the abortion industry, like that's an area where men need to take leadership. And if they don't and they fail, then uh, yeah, I, I think that they deserve even the majority of the shame. And especially because for them, you know, the, the women who are sitting there listening to a man advocate for abortion, well, you you do realize, apparently, I guess you don't, that the men who support abortion, it's it's because it just makes their life a lot easier. They want to be able to use you sexually. They want to be able to, the reason they want the quote, bans off your body, even though there is no ban on your body, the ban is concerning the body of the child, saying that you can't kill the child. But the, the reason is because they want to use your body as an object without having to worry about any consequences like, say, a child being conceived. And what's more, um, if the child is conceived, they're very happy about the fact that um, what, you're going to be the one to go and do the dirty work of having the child killed. So it's great for them. They get to use you sexually, get everything they want out of you. Um, they avoid a responsibility because as weak, cowardly men, that's all they care about is avoiding responsibility. And uh, the hard part is, is, is not, doesn't concern them. They can, they can wipe their hands with the whole thing. So that's the story of pro-abortion men. All right, one other thing here. Um, 
here's a good story from Coindesk. It says, a non-fungible token, NFT, of Twitter founder Jack Dorsey's first ever tweet could sell for just under $280, which is still $280 too much. But the current owner of the NFT listed it for $48 million last week. Iranian-born crypto entrepreneur Sina Estavi purchased the NFT of the tweet for, I think we have it there, Yep, that's, so that's the tweet there. It's, it's, it's Jack, the first ever tweet, and he's saying, just setting up my Twitter. That's the tweet. Now, he purchased this tweet for $3 million in March of last year. And now he's trying to sell it, and he was offered 280 bucks for it. Now, $280 million is, uh, you know, it's, it, or rather $2.9 million, almost $3 million, Maybe just a, a slightly overpriced because I can have that tweet for free. Like I just I could take that tweet and screenshot it, and I you got it for for three million dollars. I got it for nothing, and we both have exactly the same thing, which is an image of this tweet, which is not worth anything. I mean this this um, as I've been saying about NFTs, I think this kind of drives the point home. Um, when, when, the, when the value can depreciate that quickly, it kind of shows you that NFTs, uh, the, va- the value for an NFT is totally artificial. These are, as I've said, it's, they're basically Beanie Babies, digital Beanie Babies, but, a lot, but, but a, a lot more worthless than Beanie Babies because at least Beanie Babies are physical things that you can take ownership and possession of. And at least if I, you know, if I buy a Beanie Baby... And there may be many that look like it, but I actually have this physical Beanie Baby and no one else has it. It, I have this one. No one else has the exact same one. So maybe I could take some comfort in that at least. But if I have the digital image of a Beanie Baby, then anyone can have exactly the same thing and it doesn't even exist. So totally artificial value. It's based on nothing at all other than just the whims of people who are into buying NFTs. And that's especially precarious in a country where the whims change so often. So because of the whims of NFT collectors, last year that tweet went for almost three million. A year later, they just said, oh yeah, you know what? I don't, we don't feel like pretending that that's worth anything this time. Instead, we're pretending that, this, that these things are worth something. Not exactly the smartest investment strategy, I would say. Let's get now to the comment section. If you're a man, it's required that you grow a beard. Hey, we're the sweet baby gang. Cuppy Cupsters says, I'm not a zoologist, and yet I know what an elephant is. Saying you're not a biologist is the dumbest thing you can say in an argument about gender. Well, it's credentialism on steroids. The idea that you have to be credentialed to possess even basic knowledge about reality. Now, there, there is a, there's a place for credentialism, like we talked about planes. Flying a passenger airline, I, I think that you got to have some credentials there. Like if you're the, if you're, um, the captain of the plane, you're the pilot, I, I want to know that you've got the credentials, you have not only experience, but you've gone through everything. I want to know that. But now we say that just to, to simply make a statement about basic reality, you have to have degrees and everything, and you've got to have them all up on your wall, before, just to give you permission to say something like, you know, men have penises. Uh, another comment says, 
uh, where are we? I decided to take Sweet Daddy Walsh's alternative option and me be more forgiving of the LeBrant's mistake. The first time I got screamed at by baby-killing fanatics, I cried for hours. I liked their video and subscribed to the channel. No intention of actually watching, but little things help. And prayed a rosary for them. They aren't as firm and based as they should be, but if we support them in prayer, they could develop the virtue to double down in their defense of life. Well, another comment about the same issue that I'll read before responding. Major Tom Fisher says, Matt, when Matt Walsh said that there were no comments defending the pro-life YouTubers, it immediately reminded me of something I've noticed. Entirely too few conservatives are jumping into online conflicts to provide support. When someone openly makes a conservative point and they're getting shame for it, we need to praise them in the same comment sections people are openly decrying them in. We can't have people openly supporting conservative positions if the end result always ends in mass hatred and loss of your platform. Even if all you do is restate the points the person is making or providing minimal praise like so true or based, we can support people by saying the right things by who are saying the right things by making them feel like they're not fighting alone. Yeah, I totally a- a- agree with that. And that goes back to my point of isolation where the left wants to make you feel like you're, you're isolated. You're the only one who feels that way. And that isn't helped when, as you point out, you know, somebody... Um, says the right thing, makes a correct point, stands for the truth or whatever, and they're getting killed for it. And all the people who agree with them are kind of standing silently off to the side or maybe hiding in the bushes somewhere and like whispering, putting their thumbs up. Hey, good good job. That kind of thing. That that doesn't help much because they're still getting overwhelmed by all the hatred and they're still going to feel isolated. The best thing you could do is actually speak up and say, hey, I agree with this person. Provide a little bit of reinforcement. So um, I agree with you there. And that did occur to me as I'm, as I'm scrolling through Twitter and people res- responding to the, you know, these YouTubers who made the, the pro-life video. And the fact that it was just all negative. I didn't, I didn't see one tweet speaking up in, in support of, of these two. And you know what? I would have tried to remedy that in my own small way by tweeting something in support of them until I discovered that they had apologized. And not only that, but apparently the woman not only apologizing, but throwing her husband under the bus and saying, oh, I didn't edit it. I didn't know he was going to put that in there. That's even worse than the apology. So once you do that, I, I, I cannot support you and defend you if you aren't going to defend yourself. Why should I take that on and, and have all the arrows pointed at me when you're not even going to stand next to me? And you're the and this is you we're talking about. Like I'm willing to stand next to you and have and take take and, and share in that and have have a, a portion of the arrows pointed in my direction. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have them pointed at me and then you go sc- scurry off or even turn on me now and apologize. You know, so so now it's like I'm. You're you're actually when you apologize and you renounce whatever you said, you're joining the outrage mob. So you're not just leaving me alone to the mob, but you're joining them. You're adding to them. So no, you you can't do that. If you want to be supported and defended, you at least have to support and defend yourself. If you're not willing to do that, then. And this is why I despise the apologies so much. Because for many reasons we've talked about plenty of times, but the main thing that gets me about it is that you are pulling the rug out from underneath of your defenders. Because how many times have we seen this? 
somebody says something, uh, they're getting attacked for it, but then other people come to their defense and put them put themselves on the line a little bit. You know, put themselves, they go out on a limb for you. And they and they say, you know what, I'm gonna defend this person. But then you hop off the limb and leave them there alone. It's uh you can't do that. And and once you do that, then there's nothing left to defend because you've given up. You know, if there's one thing we can be sure of, it's that Disney has seriously screwed up. This is what happens when you, when you alienate parents and um, you make parents feel like you're standing on the opposite end of them and you're trying to, you know, indoctrinate your kids. In fact, when you, when you are open about it, then people kind of get upset. And that's why The Daily Wire is investing $100 million into creating a platform for children that's actually for children, and it's called DW Kids. We've hired the VeggieTales writers to help create our first two children's shows, Chilla Time, about a family of homeschool chinchillas, Doodles with Noodles, uh, that centers on a man and his puppet giving drawing lessons. And over the next three years, we've committed to investing $100 million into children's entertainment content. And that's big news. Take it from the number one LGBT children's author in the world. Uh, because in order to change the culture, you have to make the culture. And Daily Wire is making the culture. But the thing is, we need your help to do it. So today, you can head to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code BUILDTHEFUTURE for 45% off your membership. This offer ends today, so you got to subscribe right now. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. You know, it feels always kind of cheap and easy to use a segment from The View as fodder for the daily cancellation. And it is definitely cheap and easy, but sometimes it's okay to go the cheap and easy direction of life, I think. So we turn now to the screeching banshees of The View as they discuss Mike Pence and his views on marriage. During the Q&A of his most recent YAF speech, Pence uh, addressed his support for so-called traditional marriage, otherwise known simply as marriage, uh, but addressed it in a relatively sort of circumspect way. Let's watch that. If one of your children came out to you as gay, how would you respond? What would you tell them? I'd look them in the eye and tell them I love you. I believe marriage was ordained by God and instituted in the law. But we live in a pluralistic society. And the way we go forward and the way we come together as a country united, I believe, is when we respect your right to believe and my right to believe what we believe. A political answer, mostly meaningless, but uh, I'm not going to harp on that. We, you know, we actually aren't going to come together as a country united simply by respecting each other's right to believe whatever we believe. I mean, we obviously all have the right to believe what we believe. You can't stop somebody from believing something. Even in like North Korea, you technically have the right to believe whatever you want to believe because no one can get inside your mind and stop you from believing anything. Um, but acknowledging that we all have the ability to believe whatever we want to believe is not itself the basis for any sort of meaningful national unity. And though I do acknowledge other people's right to believe whatever they believe, I certainly don't respect the beliefs themselves, necessarily. True national unity could be forged through shared belief, not shared acknowledgement of everybody's right to believe what they believe, but through actually sharing in the same fundamental values and beliefs. Not that everyone's marching lockstep and believes all, all the, exactly the same things in every single point, but having some basic fundamental values and beliefs in common. That's where you have unity. Because then you're uniting around that. You take that away, then you're, what are you uniting around? There's nothing there. Um, I don't 
share the beliefs of the other side in this country. And I also don't respect their beliefs. And I find their beliefs to be abhorrent, insane, and disgusting, so much so that I actually don't even respect them personally either. So that, that's the situation. In any case, this is all somewhat beside the point, I suppose. The heckling Herodans on the panel weren't discussing that issue exactly. Instead, they offered their insights about the marriage issue. And um, so we're going we're gonna to go through a, just a, a brief sampling of this. First up is the token fake conservative at the, ta- at the table, um, Alyssa Farah, who used to work for Pence. And um, here's what she says and some of the other women. I still advise a number of Republicans, um, and one issue that I have, or two issues I've told them, across the board, you will lose the younger generation, 35 and down, is if you do not come around on marriage equality and climate change. The country's mind is made up. I'm someone who believes you can believe what you want in your church. I'm Episcopalian. I have certain beliefs in my church, but it is the law of the land that you can marry who you love, and that is a good thing. Having the right to choose who you want to be and not being made to feel shame. Mm -hmm. Is what democracy is. Well, and I who decided that, that yeah. a traditional marriage is a man and a woman? Who came up with this plan? Well, everything that exists Mike. in nature, right? People say it's unnatural, but isn't everything that exists I in nature, by definition, is, is natural? But is homosexuality even mentioned in the Bible? I don't think it is. I believe is it, it, is. It, is. It, is. it is. You know, um, I, I appreciate what you're saying about, about your, your former boss and, and Mike yeah. Pence. I, I think he's lying on that tape. Um, And I I think that, you know, words are meaningless when your actions say differently, right? And um, let's just take a look very briefly at uh, Mike Pence's record with the LGBTQ uh, plus community. Um, In 2000, um, he uh, said during his congressional campaign that Congress should oppose any effort to put gay and lesbian relationships on an equal legal status with heterosexual marriage. Now, I have to check, so don't quote me on this, but I think that the clip you just watched actually now holds the record as, in fact, officially the dumbest 90 seconds in the history of television. Uh, There's a lot of competition for the title, but the sheer amount of dumb packed into such a short period of time creates an incredibly and perhaps historically and maybe fatally potent concentration of dumbness. So let's try our best to kind of sort through it all, starting at the beginning. First, the pretend conservative says that she is still advising Republicans. Now, I, I wish I could just assume that she's lying about that, but unfortunately, I have no doubt that um, any number of Republicans would be foolish enough to take political advice from a talking head on The View. I mean, I could definitely see somebody like Adam Kinzinger, maybe Utah's Governor Spencer Cox, paying money to hear the sage wisdom of Joy Behar's TV sidekick. And the primary piece of wisdom she offers to these poor, dull-witted saps is that The best way to win the young generation is to give up defending marriage and the family and to become a climate change alarmist. She didn't say it there, but I can guarantee she would also advise that Republicans lay off the pro-life stuff, maybe start adopting some pro-CRT talking points, take a friendlier stance towards gender ideology, learn to love gun control. In fact, I'm positive on that last point because apparently during another segment on the show, she conceded that no one needs an AR-15, quote unquote. Um, Another concession to impress young people, I suppose. But the problem is that you aren't going to win the young over to your side or anyone over to your side by becoming a pale imitation of your opponents. Why would any young person go to the Republican Party to get their progressivism fix when they could just go to the Democrats and get the real stuff, pure grade, right from the source? What are they going to choose? Organic grass-fed leftism or watered-down prepackaged leftism with artificial flavoring? Next, we hear from the other woman who says that um, democracy is the right to choose who you want to be 
without feeling shame. No part of that is true or makes sense. You don't have the universal absolute right to choose who you want to be, whatever that even means. And you certainly don't have the right to not feel shame. Now, shame may be warranted or not. The person causing you to feel shame may be justified or not, depending on the circumstances. But whichever is the case, you can't claim from the universe the right to be free from shame or judgment or criticism. There's no government in the world that can protect you from those aspects of life, nor should the government try. Speaking of the government, none of this has anything to do with democracy. Democracy is a political system which comes in various forms, direct democracy, representative democracy, and so on. But democracy is not the overarching catch-all term that people seem to want to turn it into. When somebody says democracy these days, what they really mean is stuff that I like. Whatever they like or want is democracy. Whatever they don't like or don't want is anti-democratic, which is totally nonsensical. Then to top it all off, she she claims that um, anything which can be found in nature is natural. Now, this is technically true, as the word natural can be defined as existing in nature, but just because something exists in nature or can be found in nature, that in and of itself doesn't mean that it's good. Cancer is natural in that sense. It exists in nature. Cannibalism exists in nature. Murder. Uh, Non-consensual sex happens all over the animal kingdom. You're really walking down a precarious path when you try to morally justify something by pointing out that it occurs in nature. You need to offer more than that. After all, the whole reason the law exists is that we are naturally inclined to behave in immoral ways. If we weren't, then there'd be no need for any law at all. After that, Joy Behar says that homosexuality isn't in the Bible. And she's right about that. Of course, I mean, aside from 1 Corinthians 6, Leviticus 20, Romans uh, 126, 1 Timothy, Romans 127, numerous other passages, but aside from all that, it's not in there. Finally, the other dim bulb at the table gets a chance to chime in and begins by pointing out that Mike Pence opposed gay marriage in the year 2000. You know who else opposed gay marriage in the year 2000? Um, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, the entire Democratic Party, the vast majority of the country and nearly the entire world outside of this country. Like they all did too at that time. This is actually a significant point that she raises inadvertently. You know, because it it does bring to mind the fact that just a couple of decades ago, nearly everyone everywhere believed that marriage was between a man and a woman. A decade and a half later, that view had become not only unpopular, but unspeakable. Another five years after that, and nobody even knows what a man or woman is anymore. Might this be evidence of, I don't know, a slippery slope? Worth thinking about. But it's a thought process that may be beyond the capacities of the ladies of the view, because it is a thought process that involves, you know, thought. So instead, they just babble nonsensically. And that's why, as easy as it is to say, I will still say that today the view is canceled. And we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. 
and hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Heart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey there, this is John Bickley, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief and co-host of Morning Wire. On today's episode, the Texas governor takes border security into his own hands, the midterm races you should be watching, and New Jersey public schools are set to begin teaching gender identity to first graders. Join us to get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire.